Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Hello and welcome to this new episode. This is all about me and that sounds a little egotistical and a bit arrogant to perhaps say that, but... I have spent 34 years feeling like I don't belong, feeling like I'm misunderstood, feeling like I just don't really have anyone else in the world that thinks like me, views the world like me. I've never really felt like I've found my tribe or my crew that fully understand me. And potentially that is a false hope and an unrealistic expectation. I'm sure that every single person is wonderfully unique, but I can't help but thinking there are many people with lots of friends or acquaintances or one wonderful, beautiful, deep friendship with a specific person, a best friend or a soulmate. Or, and I've, I've never experienced that. I've had some wonderful connections and I've had some beautiful relationships and I certainly have really wonderful people in my life but I can't help feeling that I'm still searching somehow for deeper connections for something that I'm just missing and and if you listen to this episode you'll realize why I feel a little bit lost and I'm still in in search of something someone I'm sure it's I'm in search with a deeper understanding of myself. Um, that's the kind of irony. The more self-work you do, the more self-analysis, and the more you get to know yourself, the more is revealed and the less you actually really know. It's a bit like anything. The more you feel like you know a topic or a subject or a person, the less you actually really do know, and the more you realise that you don't really know much at all. So I'm going to start at the beginning because we will be covering lots of different topics and I'm going to take this opportunity to just say a warning that I do, well I will go on to talk about my time in hospital, suicidal idealizations. I can never say that word properly but thoughts and attempts of suicide, obviously a lot around mental health. I will be talking about addiction, Um, I'll be talking about pretty um, emotional stuff. I don't think I'm going to get emotional because I've written it out. I've lived in my head for many, many years. I've certainly dealt with depression um, and a lot of really negative thoughts. So I hope I don't get emotional, but who knows? It It might spark some emotion and bring some things up for me. It has felt a little bit like a therapy session for myself, writing down the notes for this episode. So I'm going to jump in at the beginning and explain a little bit around why I feel like a failure um, I have for as long as I can remember, why I feel like I'm not good enough, and why I feel like I am embarrassed and frustrated at my own lack of accomplishment in life. Now, I can say those three things quite boldly um, and quite shockingly, but this is genuinely how I feel. And anyone that doesn't know me quite well will probably say I'm quite hard on myself. And 
will recognize that I'm constantly striving for more. And I now know through lots of self-work where that comes from. I haven't found the answer of how not to feel these way, this way. And um, I'm still striving to try and feel like I'm adequate or I'm enough or I can be proud of myself. But I certainly understand why I do feel like a failure almost every day of my life. And that is my childhood. Obviously, our childhoods inform us greatly. And I went to an all-girls private and I also had quite unusual uh, pressure, I would say, put on me by my grandparents and just society and the kind of frameworks that I was built, um, brought up in. So from a young age, it was evident that I was falling behind or I wasn't keeping up or I wasn't kind of the level I should be at, the national average or expectation for reading ability. And um, mum got me tested for dyslexia at about the age of eight. And then I went to a new school. So I'd gone from a private school to a, sorry, a a state school to a private school. And it was an all girls private. And because I was so behind, I had to start a year below myself. So essentially, I, I repeated a whole year of school. So I was already quite old for my year and then um, started a year below myself. So I definitely remember through school feeling really, really old, really um, disconnected. I This, again, will sound arrogant, but um, I was a child, but I do feel like a lot of the kids in my class were quite immature. I've always had quite a old soul and a very analytical mindset as a as a baby in fact I used to sit up on the hill we lived in the countryside and I'd be in my nappy and I would literally just sit in nature for hours just in my head just imagining just by myself playing little games in my head um I don't know if anyone's heard of the phrase an indigo child but essentially I was just this happy loner in nature so yeah I really struggled to feel like I could relate to people in my class but then there was also the added weight of knowing that I was not as clever I was not invited I distinctly remember not being invited up to the reading corner which was just like a couple of steps up and they had this reading platform, this cute little library set up in in the corner of the room Um, because the teacher basically said, well, you're not going to be able to read any of the books up here, so you're not going to be allowed to come and join us. Um, And I was about eight at the time, I think. I certainly couldn't do my alphabet at eight and I don't think I had much ability to spell. So, um, yeah, I always felt like I was behind academically, but different not advanced or not ahead but just different in the way that I thought I didn't really understand sort of like games that kids played I remember at the age of 12 it was like the new cool thing gaining independence we were dropped into the city of Worcester for two hours on a Saturday and everyone would just sort of like stand outside McDonald's and chat to boys and I just I just didn't get it I didn't understand what we were doing um I always felt on the fringes very much that I was clinging on to some sort of connection 
but I didn't really ever feel like I was, I was certainly not an it girl. I wasn't one of the ones where if I walked off, people would follow. If I walked off, people would just leave me to walk off. Or if I suggested doing something, no one would come with. Whereas there's certain people in the class, which I'm sure everyone can remember, these people in their school, in their university, or even at work now, where if they say, let's do something, everyone follows. I was never one of those. The only places where I felt I could connect and was content and I felt like I belonged was in sport, sport and art, because the glue, if you like, the, the, the source of connection was playing a game and playing the game by the best tactics you could, following rules. Um, it was very, it was very obvious and very safe and very structured and you just had to learn the skill, master the skill and perform the skill there was no nuance around um, conversation or topics of interest. And I've realized as an adult, one thing that is very obvious is I'm far more interested in people's behavior than what they have to say. I actually really struggle with knowing how to connect with people, even if it's a topic that I enjoy. I... I just feel like I can understand people and connect better by watching someone. And this is probably a bit unnerving for anyone that does hang out with me because I can tell so much from somebody's body language, from somebody's mood. I'll talk about energy and how I can just feel. I feel my way through life based on energy, not what people tell me. Um, yeah, very rarely do I get as interested on a topic that someone's talking about. I'm more interested in how they're acting, their behaviour, what they're doing. And that's possibly why I'm so physical in, in my attributes, in my interests, in my hobbies, in my craft, in my work. Because when, when I'm doing something, I can connect with people when I'm you know building something or creating something or playing a sport much more so than when I'm talking, because from a young, young age, I was always in my head analysing. And I just don't believe that people necessarily think as deeply as me or ask uh, questions in such a confusing or, well, deep's really the word that comes to mind. Um, I'll get onto that a bit more. But yes, at school, really, really struggled to feel like I ever belonged um, and then it's no surprise, no secret that I ended up in hospital and that really informed so much around why I think the way I think, why I behave the way I behave and absolutely why I am so analytical and so um, self-aware. I certainly feel like I had the foundations of self-awareness and an old soul right from the beginning and I have no doubt that my time in hospital was an actual an opportunity for me to have to look inwards more. I completely had to rewrite um, and choose my belief system. I had to reinvent myself. I had to learn how to do basic things, basic life. I had to learn how to live again. So the only way I could learn how to live again is to have the awareness of behaviors that were making me go towards death and then actively choose different behaviors 
and carry those behaviours out. So three steps. One, awareness of what was wrong. Two, acknowledgement of what I needed to do differently. And then three, actually act act those differences. I think at the moment in the whole, this is a bit of a tangent, but this self-discovery, self-development space, people get one and two, but they don't do number three. Or they get number one and then they don't do number two so they're kind of doing number three wrong or they're doing the wrong number three so we have to first of all recognize behaviors thought patterns ways that we live our lives that are maybe detrimental then we have to acknowledge okay well what do I need to do differently or how do I need to reshape my thinking or how do I need to behave differently and then you actually have to behave think act in that way um yeah I don't think many people do that little little tangent there for you so how did hospital essentially inform certain key characteristics of my personality and my character now one being control one being an addiction to drama one needing validation one being really poor at decision making Uh, There's a few others, but they're the four main ones. So I'm going to break those down. So for me, having anorexia probably stemmed from needing to control. And that is not the only reason why people become anorexic, but it certainly served that purpose in my life at that time. So when my life was out of control and the stability of my home life, my family, my sexuality my body in itself was going through puberty when all these things were changing I personally turned to food and over exercise as a way to control some element of my life obviously we now know and with an adult um, level of wisdom and self-awareness that by controlling my food intake and my exercise wasn't going to solve the problems that I was experiencing with all the other areas of my life that were out of control but it certainly acted as a distraction and it was a false kind of level of control it made me at that time feel like I could take some sort of comfort from controlling and focusing on my food and my exercise rather than having to face the real issues, which were actually, in my defence, completely out of control. So needing to control got me into hospital. And then when I was in hospital, obviously that level of control that I had or that I was um, using to try and deal with the real issues that were going on in life, all those levels of control were taken away from me. And I still have a need to control at this point in my life. I thought I didn't. I honestly, hand on heart, thought, oh, because I have no issues with eating, because I have no desire to over-exercise, punish myself through exercise, because I don't self-harm, because I don't count calories, I don't think about what I eat on any given day. I eat just because... I like food and I'm hungry and I need food and I want to be healthy. You know, I have a really, really positive relationship with exercise and food now. So I thought, great, that means I am completely cured from an eating disorder and um, trying to end my life. Not the case. And this is where admitting 
that I will probably always have some sort of psychological side effects or carry on from being deeply, deeply unwell, like drastically, um, dangerously unwell for about a decade. Um, Admitting to that is, um, well, probably not, not a big shock, but for me, I've never, I've never to this day, actually, I'm only doing it now, which is probably why I'm stumbling over my words, admitted to the fact that I'm probably going to always have issues with control. Because I don't feel safe, I'm going to break that down more. I don't trust people's behaviour. So I've already said that I don't really feel safe around, or I don't feel like I can, can connect when people just talk about a topic or where we just have a conversation, I feel like I can connect best when I'm observing and I'm, I'm connecting with someone through an activity or we're, we're doing something. But at the same time, I don't trust people's behavior because I was so hurt when my parents overnight surprised me, um, by their divorce. I didn't see it coming. It, sh- it completely rocked my world to the point of nearly dying because I couldn't handle it. And then I internalized all that fear and anxiety and stress and sadness and lack of control. So I nearly stabbed myself to death over exercise and tried to take my life twice and, and thankfully failed in that. But I, the, the absolute shock that I got from the human behavior of my parents now means that I don't trust anybody and I've never ever been able to fully trust people's actions and unfortunately because we are fantastic at lying all humans are and we lie on average 22 times a week I think most people lie a lot more than that to be honest but because we lie so often I just don't trust anyone's word but I can, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with of knowing that people, you know, will tell little white lies. I can certainly read through people when they're trying to convince themselves or me of something. I'm, I don't, yeah, you can't really fool me. But it's the actions of people that I still really struggle with. So when someone says they're going to be there and then they don't, hurts me. When someone says they're going to show up for a party or an event and then they bail, I really don't do well. When someone says that they, I can count on them for a work thing or if they're a member of a team and then they just don't turn up. Like, I think it's an Australian thing as well. I've certainly noticed it more. There's a more kind of casual approach to commitment in Australia. I just cannot handle that. So I feel deeply let down by people when their behaviour is not trustworthy, when they let people down because they either say they're going to do something or they allude to doing it through kind of foundational activity or they'll set they'll set the scene as if they're about to do something and then they don't I can't handle it I literally cannot handle it so as a safety mechanism and also because the trauma of my parents behavior of of suddenly breaking up and the family falling apart and the lack of trust in people's word and when they, they are a letdown. My way of coping with that is to, to not let people get too close, is to not rely on anyone, is to not 
give people the opportunity to then let me down, which is exactly why I am so fiercely independent. I do not want to be independent. I do not want to go on holiday by myself. I do not want to go on walking, camping trips alone. I don't want to go to the cinema by myself. I don't necessarily want to go on a shopping trip by myself to a music concert, to a gallery. I don't want to do things on my own, but I probably do 90% of life by myself because I cannot handle when people let me down. Whether it's unresolved trauma that then brings up on a subconscious level the pain I experienced when my parents let me down. And they weren't, obviously, disclaimer, I now know as an adult they weren't intentionally getting a divorce to let me down and they certainly weren't hoping that would be a side effect of them needing to do what they needed to do but unfortunately that event was so catastrophic and traumatic in my life I now struggle when people let people down i.e let me down so when people don't show up physically I can't handle it which is why then I I just don't give them an opportunity to hurt me in that way. So that's one way that I control. And it appears probably from the outside that I'm really content doing stuff on my own. I have learned to be content on my own because it's either three things. One, get upset that someone has let me down and then not do it. Two, Just don't even entertain the idea, don't do it at all, don't even put it out there, don't let a friend come along, but I'm also not going to go myself. Or three, just go, because I'd rather go and do something on my own, I'm certainly not going to just miss out. I'm not going to do number two and just don't do it because I don't have someone to do it with. I'm not going to stop living my life because I have no one that wants to come along. A prime example of this is golf. So I love playing golf, I play weekly if I can. And the amount of times I've asked people to join me, friends that I have, and they don't have time or they uh, they don't have an interest in it, absolutely fine, not a problem. But it's certainly not going to stop me from going to play golf. I'm not going to not do something because I don't have someone there to do it with. But it does paint the picture. It gives the impression that I want to be doing life alone. I don't. I just want people to show up. I want people to commit. I want people to be accountable. So that's a level of a weird level of control in that um yeah, I I guess I I push people away or I keep people away. Um or I don't wait for people, I think is is the is the the crux of it. If someone asked me and said, "Livy, let's go do the cape to cape together." Um yeah great, let's do it, which is actually what happened. And then they pulled out or they didn't include me in the conversation around it. So then I got really upset and then I cried for a bit and I thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to do it myself. So then I did it myself um, a few days later and it was the hardest physical thing I've ever done. But um, again, (laughs) people not, not being there, so I just do it on my own. Um. What other ways do I control? Um, Hmm. I don't know, really. I try not to control. Gosh, I probably should have written a list of what I control. It's hard, actually. I'm sure there's people listening to this screaming, going, what do you mean you can't think of all the other ways you try and control? 
Um, I This is a kind of reverse control, but I make sure that my day is absolutely packed to the brim. And this speaks to a, a few things out of hospital and a few um, residual kind of side effects or knock-on effects from being deeply unwell. So I control my time. I make sure I don't waste a minute for various reasons. One, which I'll speak to in a little bit, is I do not want to get to the end of the day and feel like I've wasted the day because then I feel like I'm a failure. If I have lost or missed out on an opportunity, if I've wasted an hour or two, I don't know, doing whatevs, um, and it's all subjective because what I feel is a, a valuable kind of um, use of my time, someone I, someone might think, well, no, you've just wasted your whole day. Like if I'm painting a picture and it's not going to make me any money or if not selling it, I'm not even going to show it. Well, then, yeah, that could be a waste of my time and equal a failure anyway. But I know what I enjoy. I know what I'm good at. And I know for my own mental health that I have to feel fulfilled and fulfillment and striving for fulfillment is going to make me feel positive in my mental health. So that's one reason why I pack every single day is so that I don't feel like I've wasted it at the end of the day and I can fall asleep and I can live with myself knowing that I have not wasted a day because I wasted so much time being ill. I have carried that guilt with me my whole life up to this point I still feel so angry at myself and so guilty for the fact that I threw away opportunities so I was in a Centex program which is basically I don't know if it exists anymore but it was a lacrosse funnel program where you kind of invited to trial and then you get through different rounds and it's like you work your way up to the England team and I was invited to go along for that and then I was too ill um and uh underweight so they retracted the offer in fact I think I went into hospital so I wasn't in any fit state to be playing lacrosse um my ultimate life dream has been to represent my country in a sport and I uh, have to live with myself for fucking it up because I was unwell and I wasted that opportunity I wasted 10 years of the most formative time in a person's life where they learn social interaction so I am 10 years behind so I, I'm, I'm in some sense quite immature when it comes to human interaction because I didn't learn when people go clubbing and people go and they push the limits of physical endurance in like partying and not sleeping and and like lots of sexual interactions and and awkward and interesting and diverse social connections I missed all of that from the age of 15 to 25 I was completely absorbed in um, anorexia depression anxiety suicidal thoughts and tendencies and I, I missed I miss the foundations of what it is to grow into an adult so even though I had the wisdom and the old soul I didn't practice it. So I came to Australia at 24 and I I didn't, I, I don't know, I just sort of missed out. So in terms of trying to create some sort of like 
catch up, I guess, and, and make up for lost time um, and, and live with myself and the guilt that I feel around wasted opportunities. Um, that's another reason why I cram every minute of every day. There's also, and this is going off for control a little bit, but sticking with cramming every minute of every day, I also genuinely love life. I think when life has nearly been taken away from you, and when I was living in hospital um, for a couple of years, um, and I had restrictions on where I was allowed to go, and I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital, and I was locked up inside, it felt like a prison, I never, ever, ever want to take any day for granted. And I think this is a positive knock-on effect. One of the questions, actually, from someone when I said I was doing this episode was, um, how do I enjoy so much? It's because I remember what it was like to not have the freedom to walk outside on a sunny day and hear the birds and feel the grass under my feet and to see the blues in the sky and the pop of the bright colours of the the flowers and the, the perfect breeze across my face. And like, I was literally trapped inside. The windows were only open an inch for our health and safety so that we couldn't escape. And I would push my face up against the window pane and my mouth right level with where that inch opening was. And I would just wail and cry for hours and hours on end. All I wanted to do was to soak myself in nature, was to get out there and experience nature's healing energy and feel the sun and just lie there. I didn't, I didn't, sometimes, okay, sometimes I wanted to run away and sometimes I wanted to just run, full stop. But most of the time I just wanted to feel nature. I wanted to bathe in nature instead of being stuck up in this horrible, like, prison of a building. Um, so... I know what it's like to be imprisoned and therefore I can genuinely see the beauty in every single moment, every experience, every change in weather, every change in scene, every just every minute of every day has the opportunity to add a sense of wonder and joy and um, excitement and just add. I, I just... I just, I'm just thirsty for what nature and life can offer. And I'm fortunate in that I genuinely love playing sport. I genuinely love exercise. I love culture. I love art. I just genuinely love it all. And the more I do, the more I realize that I, I thrive off the variety of life. Um, so yeah, I pack every day. And it might be intimidating for some, and I've spoken to various people over the years about why I don't have very many friends. Partly it's because I don't wait for anyone. And I think I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if some people say that I'm intimidating and that I, I have this sort of like drive to make the most of every day. And that might come across as a bit I don't know if that comes across as intimidating or exhausting or possessed. Like, like I'm not possessed. I just, I just, ah, it's hard when you, when you've felt like a prisoner for 
And I wasn't just a prisoner in the actual hospital walls. I was a prisoner within an illness. Like I was the I was in the grip of anorexia for 10 years. So when I'm when you're free of that, when you're not chained by a negative mindset or held back by physical inability or you know the health profession is 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 denying you the option to actually just live your life well then when those chains are cut off my gosh you just want to go out and make the most of every day and that's what I'm still doing um I, I maybe have reached a point now where there's this unhealthy drive to feel um some sort of rush from life and actually this is a really dangerous place that I'm in but I do recognize it and I'm I'm fully aware of needing to find a solution around this I spoke to a a counselor a few years ago and she wasn't the first person to tell me actually I've, I've had a few counselors say that I am addicted to drama and this is going to sound really messed up but the most I ever felt alive was when I was closest to death. So the most dramatic trauma, um, heightened kind of scary moment of my life was when I was absolutely emaciated on death's door. Weirdly, that's what was the biggest high, the biggest rush. A little bit like, obviously not in a positive way, but a little bit like an Olympian winning gold. When you've gotten to the top, the pinnacle, when when that is the most dramatic event of your life, nothing else compares. So although it was a horrific time when I was unwell, unfortunately life just feels a bit bland. Very bland. I'm being I'm being reserved. Uh most of the time, probably uh, once a month, I will cry at the absolute monotony, boredom, routine, mundaneness of my life, which is a weird, weird thing to say if you have ever looked in on the way I live my life. I've already said I pack every single day to the max, but it doesn't fuel me. It's like I'm searching for this hit, this adrenaline, this drama. I'm searching for my next kind of boost of excitement because life is just so... And I'm going to sound really privileged and really ungrateful saying this, but I just find life so safe and so easy and so predictable. And this is a huge problem that I have to live with, but it might explain to some people why I am always searching. And this is not something I'm proud of. And this is actually something I desperately need help with and I need to fix. Definitely a, a a negative side effect from anorexia and an unresolved trauma I have is this constant need to push and thank goodness I have the self-awareness that addiction runs in my family and that I am addicted to drama and that I do need these like exciting hits in life Um, and that is exactly why I have never drank I have never taken drugs and I've never done anything which I would deem as an unhealthy, um, recreational drug or um, gambling or anything like that. I nearly killed myself through being anorexic. That 
was partly also an addiction to exercise. So I have the mindset and the the, uh, common sense, I guess, to not put myself at the potential risk of then becoming addicted to something else. It's very common when people overcome one um, kind of mental health addiction to just pick up a different one in its place. So someone might be a self-harmer and then they become addicted to overeating or they might be a gambler, stop gambling, but then they might become an alcoholic. So with that awareness, I certainly don't want to... kind of tempt fate by doing anything so I have never ever tried drugs I've never smoked I've never um drank Uh, essentially my fear is that I would enjoy any of the above and then I would just do it and become addicted and if I don't enjoy it well then it was a total waste of time trying it in the first place so why bother so uh that's why I don't do any of those things so oh there's a there's a control and maybe it's a good a good control, but um, certainly a control thing in my life. I don't allow myself to try those things. Although, side note, I think it would be fascinating to paint whilst under the influence of mushrooms. Because I, oh, I would just love to see what my brain comes up with. But I've been very tempted, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to try it. So, um, I'm going off on tangents. I've got a lot to say. I've, I've, I've gone all over the shop. But I've got my notes in front of me and validation is written. Um, This comes from, I'm going to go back a bit, to school. It also does come from hospital. But at school, at the school I went to anyway, we were praised and we were recognised with awards and prizes and shout-outs and assembly um, mentions photos, newspaper, clipping, blah, 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 all the above. We were praised if we did well. We were given recognition if we did well. And if we failed, absolutely nothing. Just, just nothing. You weren't acknowledged. You weren't given encouragement. You weren't praised. You weren't noticed. So the only way to get a sense of validation and to feel like you matter or that you there is any worth to you is to be the best or to su- succeed or to do well and get a shout out and, and recognition. I do feel like it's super dangerous to put children in grades. I was always in D grade, always, um, for everything because I was dyslexic and I was graded from the beginning and it's very rare that people go up and down grades. So I was just known as a D grader throughout my whole schooling. Ironically, when I took my end of year exams in hospital, when I had to study myself and I had to teach myself from revision books, I then averaged A's and B's. So it just goes to show that conventional schooling doesn't necessarily work. And um, yeah, that it can be quite limiting, I think, if, if you're judged and you're perceived to be a certain graded student and then you just kept at that level the whole way through. I also hated and really resented, and I still struggle with this now, not sure if this is still wrapped up in trauma that I need to resolve, but that 
people at school, teachers would push us to do to do more, push us to to succeed, to to aim for higher, to achieve more goals. Some people, I believe, give their absolute best from the get go. Other students, I believe, do need some gentle encouragement. I do feel like, I don't know what the percentage is. I actually Googled it today. What's the percentage of people that are self-driven that do not need a push versus those that um, have a lot of potential but that just need that little nudge? I couldn't find the answer. I certainly fall into the category of I do not need pushing. If you push me and you ask more from me and you expect more from me, all I feel is that I am a failure. Because I'm giving my all, and if I can't give any more than what I'm giving already, by gently encouraging me or trying to get more out of me, all is it all it does is validate that I'm not enough. I am not able to give more, therefore I am not able to reach the standard that you expect from me. That is my upbringing. That is my childhood. That was a little bit at home, mostly at my grandparents' house. I always felt like I was falling short and I'm sure it was very innocent. I'm sure it was most kids need a little gentle nudge and I'm sure that we can get more out of most of our students if we just gently encourage them to push a bit harder and to strive and set higher goals. But for people like me who will always give my best, asking for even a little bit more just validates that we're not good enough because I can't give any more. I'm giving my best in the first place. I just need acknowledgement and recognition that I've tried my hardest. And well done for trying your hardest. So some schools, um, some workplaces, some families, some, some places will encourage effort and will praise just turning up, just giving it a go. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about giving everyone a prize just for showing up on sports day. I do think that you need to kind of congratulate those that come first, second, third, which kind of goes against what I've just said. But I think you need to be really careful if someone you can see is trying the absolute hardest, just acknowledge that. That's enough. Don't then try and push the bar more push the bar more I also had a lot at school people saying oh my gosh you're going to be great or you are going to be something fantastic or I can't wait to see what you achieve in the future or later down the track you are going to be which essentially has felt felt like I've been set up to fail because one I don't know what that person means by putting me on a pedestal and saying in the future you're going to be great so I don't know whether I've got there or not but also that alludes to I'm not there yet so currently I must be a failure if I'm not at that point of greatness in your eyes in the present moment my whole life people have told me gosh you're really going to amount to something or wow aren't you destined for good great thing it's like but that's just telling me that I'm still not there and will I ever get there? Because I'm 34, nearly 35, and I'm still being told that I'm going to amount to something, which just tells me that I haven't amounted to anything yet. So you can see where this sense of failure comes from, this narrative of I'm not good enough at school. 
I was always in the bottom grade. Um, very rarely got kind of a shout out or recognition, unless it was from a sporting perspective. And I really struggle, and this is both school and hospital, I really struggle with a sense of pride unless somebody else gives me that validation. Because two things, I've never felt like I was enough on my own because I've never had that messaging. No one's ever given me an inflated sense of ego of, wow, you're fantastic right now, or good on you for giving it a go, or just great. You're great. That's great. I love that you've you've done that. Whatever. I've never had that. I've never felt like I've ever been validated for who I was in the present moment. It was always a future projection of someone's expectation of me. Um, I've completely forgotten the second point. Uh, and I've also always needed validation from other people because, that's right, because when I came out of hospital, I was following a script. Essentially, I didn't know how to live. Sounds super drastic, but it's very true. When I went into hospital, everything I was doing was effectively killing me, was essentially getting me one step closer to death. So I was all my behaviours around food, around sleep or lack of, around self-harm, around over-exercising, every behaviour I was doing was killing myself slowly. So I had to relearn how to behave in order to build myself up towards living. So I followed a a kind of a a handbook, if you like, a script, um, a guide. I just followed the advice of nurses and professionals and doctors and I was just doing what they were asking of me and then that meant that that led to me living, not dying. But I needed to keep checking in. So trusting their advice and eating something I would then check in and be like is this is this right I was prescribed how to live I was just prescribed actions in order to function as a human being in a healthy living body so I was given the tools for life by other people and I would always check back in and do what they asked of me and that's a form of validation It has been and continues to be immensely challenging to make decisions based on myself trying to decide what to do. Because my whole life as a child, obviously, we we do what we're told and that's normal because we're just learning the ropes of of how to live. And then again as an adult and through my teens and, and early adulthood, I was being prescribed how to live and people were making decisions for me. Now, I don't trust myself. How on earth do I know that following this business is the right idea or living in this country or being in this relationship or doing this hobby or like, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. And in school, you constantly got validation from doing the right um, exercise or getting the right answer everything is wrong or right, black or white. In hospital, wrong or right, black or white. In overcoming my eating disorder and overcoming mental health issues, this is the right way to think, this is the wrong way to think, this is the right way. My whole life has been yes or no. And now I have choice 
And now it is up to me solely as an adult. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I can't trust my decision. So one, I know that I'm main, I'm, I know what is supposed to inform my decision. I have the self-awareness and wisdom to know that I need to do things that are going to fulfill me, that are going to be healthy, that aren't going to break any laws and that are going to have a positive impact on other people around me. So there's a framework in which I can follow. But there's so much uh, room for manoeuvre within that. So I struggle daily. So when someone thinks, oh, where should I go on holiday? Or first of all, do I want to go on holiday? Yes, cool. Okay, where should I go? Oh, I, I fancy a bit of snow. Cool. Where's closest from Perth, Japan? Done. Tick. Oh my gosh, for me to get to that decision, do I want to go on holiday? Well, yes, but then I might miss out on a commission. And if I miss out on a commission, that might not then lead to the next opportunity. And every job leads to the next job. And then my life's kind of like a holiday anyway, because honestly, every single week, I'm probably enjoying life doing hobbies 70% of the time and only working 30% of the time. So do I really deserve a holiday? Maybe I shouldn't go on a holiday because actually... Maybe I should do a working holiday when I go to England. And then if I go on holiday, maybe I'll miss playing sport. And that's not really fair on my sports team because I hate when people don't commit. But then you can see. So that's literally just trying to decide if I want to go on holiday. And then where do I go? And then do I go with someone or do I go alone? And how do I know that that's the right place? It doesn't have any Google reviews. So then maybe it's not an actual place and I might get scammed because I've been scammed before. And then maybe... That is what goes on in my head just for one decision. And then there's another decision and then another decision. And we have to make thousands of decisions every single day. And I don't know which is the right one to do because I don't have, and no one does as an adult, no one has someone telling you that that is right or that is wrong. I almost feel like I'm slightly institutionalized when people come out of prison And they kind of live a lifestyle or in a way that they used to live in prison. They might stay in a small room or they might eat at the exact same times that they used to eat in prison. There is still a part of me that needs someone to tell me you're doing the right thing. And I don't think it's an egotistical, I need someone to stroke my ego and build me up and tell me I'm amazing. I genuinely feel lost in my ability to trust in my own decision and I'm 35, nearly 35, so it's slightly embarrassing admitting to that. But I, I've i had 20 plus years, so more than half of my life, being told and guided how to live. So to be on my own and to make those decisions for myself, when I'm striving for a sense of achievement and all I want to do is be the best I can be at things, I don't know what I don't know so I can't trust in my own ability to get me to where I want to be and if I don't get to where I want to be then I only have myself to blame and I already blame myself a lot for everything so it's just like this scary spiral of guilt because I've made the wrong decision and now like something else to beat myself up with so very complex um and haven't even thrown into that mix self-sabotage so that's a whole other conversation something I do a lot um I might actually talk about that in its own episode because self-sabotage is huge um 
One thing I will say, which is a little bit unusual, I think, is imposter syndrome. We all know what that means when someone feels like they don't deserve to be somewhere or they're out of their depth or, um, yeah, they just, they don't have the skills required to fulfill the role of wherever they're at. I have what I feel is like reverse imposter syndrome in that, or maybe it's not exactly reverse, but I don't feel like I deserve to be wherever the benchmark is, but I certainly feel that I um, am guilty and I feel ashamed and embarrassed and frustrated and I hate myself for not being there. I'll put it in context. People achieve absolute greatness. There are people in this world who are billionaires. There are people in this world who are known by millions, if not billions of people, famous people. There are people who have overcome huge challenges and now they've won like Olympic medals. There, there's absolute greatness in, in human race. There's absolute amazingness. My, my general thought every day is why are you such a failure when you have had such privilege? I have gone to an all-girls private school. I've had extra extra tuition three times a week. I have a loving family. I have middle-class finances. I have um, health. I'm not a minger. Like, I've got no disability. All these things. So there's this voice in my head saying, why are you such a failure and why haven't you achieved more with the leg up that you've been given? I've been born into an extremely privileged position and I just feel like instead of imposter syndrome, like, why am I here? Why aren't you doing more with your life, Livy? Why have you just like gotten to here? Why haven't you got to higher up? Like, why are you just like, I don't know, just fumble, like, I just struggle, I just struggle with, um, and this is where social media and comparison and influencers and being inspired by people, I now know, it's taken me a long time to realise, but for me, not healthy, not helpful at all, whereas someone might get inspired by seeing someone representing their country, I get deeply triggered and I feel worthless, and I hate myself when someone might get inspired by listening to Diary of a CEO because they talk to billionaires and millionaires and company owners. I just feel like the biggest waste of space because why are they doing it? What what am I doing wrong? Why why haven't you achieved that yet? And it's not because I feel like I deserve that. It's not that I feel that even I have the capability to do it. I'm not so. I'm not saying this from an arrogant standpoint. It's just like, what am I? Why am I so shit? If they can do it with less, if they can come from a place of less privilege and and get there, what, shouldn't I be able to do that? And why haven't I done that? Is the is the voice that goes on in my head? So another reason why I drive, 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 push, 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 constantly trying to achieve is to fill this void of, void's the wrong word, to fill up a sense of accomplishment, I guess. 
I find it very hard to feel like I've achieved anything or I can be proud of anything because there's always someone who's done more or done better or um, come from a, a harder off place or a worse off place. Um, gosh, maybe let's turn the tide. Maybe let's be a bit more positive. I can say this all very bluntly because I have lived with this mindset for 35 years. Um, apologies if it's shocking to hear, but it is my reality in my head. And maybe you've gotten this far, you now realize why I live the way that I live. So we've already spoken about addiction. Um, I'll, I'll answer a couple of the questions actually, um, that I had when I put this theme out. One I've already answered is that how do I find so much joy? And it is a genuine comparison with a life when I didn't have the freedom and the ability to do what I now can do. Um, and I genuinely practice gratitude every single day. And that just fuels more gratitude. So whatever we focus on, we know grows. Um, and you're going to get more of it. So I focus on all the things that I'm grateful for. And I get more of that. Um, Self-awareness. I had to, there was a question, um, why am I so self-aware? Um I had to, I had to invest in getting to know how to live. And then that led into getting to know how I want to live and then getting to know myself. I had to really go deep into who I am at my core in order to build myself up again. So although it was horrific, I do see that my time in hospital and my time being unwell was a real opportunity to get to know myself more. And one I'll be forever grateful for because with the insights that I have, it means that I can very safely explore issues around self-hate, around sense of failure, around addiction. I have the awareness to not make silly choices and I have the awareness to strive towards healthy um, options for myself. There's still a lot of work I need to do. I'd love to wake up and just feel like, I'm enough, full stop. Um, I'm certainly much better along the line. Like, oh my gosh, I I, I do love myself. Like, I, I do feel good in myself and I take care of myself. Um, I don't have desires to end my life like I used to, but I know there's still a way to go to be able to wake up and fully feel like I don't need to do anything to prove my worth. I can just be... Um, we're away off from that, but that's a work in progress. So, um, answered that. There was a question of how do I not care about what other people think? So, oh my gosh. Essentially, I like the analogy of when you go dancing or if you go to a club, every single person at that club is more concerned about the way they look than how they are concerned about looking at other people. And that is a sort of metaphor for life. Every single person walks through life and they are the center of their world. So they are the most important focus in their world because they are the center of the world. So when you know that 99.9% .9 of people are more concerned with themselves than anyone else, you know that they're not really looking at you. And 
they're not really going to change what they're doing based on what you're doing, unless obviously it's going to be um, dangerous or harmful or unpleasant for them. But if you take three people and they're all sharing a space, let's just put them outside in a park. One person's got a dog, one person's jogging, one person's just lying on the grass. No one's going to change what they're thinking or feeling because they're so deeply engrossed in their world and their experience of life based on the other two people in the park. So the person walking their dog is going to be engaged with their dog, probably thinking about there's they've got to fix the tire on the car and then they're meeting their cousin who they haven't seen in a couple of years later in the afternoon. So they need to think about, oh, I couldn't remember if they're vegetarian or not. They probably don't even notice the person lying on the grass. And the person lying on the grass is practicing meditation or they've got their, they're plugged into some sort of podcast or um, they've got a bad back so they're actively trying to, trying to relax or they're looking at the shapes in the clouds and remembering a memory from when they were a little boy with their dad doing that. And then the person exercising is too busy just trying to focus on their heart rate and they've got the Apple Watch. Like everyone is so engrossed in their own existence that they're not really caring or noticing unless I'm actively going out of my way to stand out and act like socially inappropriately or if I'm like running through a shopping center naked you know like no one's gonna notice it doesn't matter and why should I care even if I was wearing one blue sock and one yellow sock and then I had a bright green jumper on so it's not going to change anyone's life. Like, it's not going to change their thoughts or their feelings. Like, I just, I think there's a lot of, I've never really understood it, why people think that somehow their existence will have that much impact on other people. It, it genuinely doesn't. It really does not. If you've walked through town, so you've walked through the city centre, how much of the 200 people that you walk past how many of them have actively changed either your mood, your mind, your thought process, the way you behave? Maybe one, two, three out of 200. It's tiny. So with that, I mean, I don't have to, ha I don't have to say that to myself, but knowing that people really are just more wrapped up in their own minds than they're, they're not even wrapped up in your, your world, frees, frees us all up to just live our life. Just go and do it. Just do what makes you happy. Do what brings you joy, brings you excitement, is a new experience that is going to add value. Like, yeah, just get on with it. I think that's that's why or how I don't worry about what other people think. Um, yeah, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. I'm not out to break any laws or cause any harm. So I think I can just do whatever I want, really, <laughs> with, that, with that backing, that framework. Um... And then I'm going to just touch on one last thing. I've just seen the time, actually. Um, we're a minute, um, two minutes over the hour. So energy, and there's a lot to talk about on this, and I sort of touched on it at the start, but I feel I don't necessarily see as much as I feel. I don't necessarily think as much as I feel. So most people experience life by the way they describe it. This is a great little nugget, so well done for getting to this late in the pod because you know how people experience life by the way they 
they describe it. And then the way that they describe it, you can relate to them, which will add to a deeper connection on their way of their experience of life. I will make that make sense. If someone describes life by their feelings towards it, that means they feel that's a predominant experience of life is through feeling so you are going to best connect with them through feeling if someone describes their life by how they see it that means they're very visual they're seeing a lot of life you need to connect if you want a deep connection with them through seeing life so let's take the park analogy again so the person with the dog gosh I feel like I've got so much energy today Oh, I feel like there's a, a storm cloud coming. We best we best get in. Oh, I feel a bit hungry. Oh, I feel a bit tired, to be honest. Oh, I feel like my dog's a bit funny. Maybe there's, there's another dog around the corner or something. So everything that person has said, they feel. So by the way that they've described life, that is how they experience life, through a lot of feelings. Let's take the person lying on the grass. Oh, I think I might just bail on... Um, training later I think it yeah I think it's going to be a bit much oh, I think I might give my cousin a call because I think I don't think I've oh maybe a month since I've spoken to them mm, I think I I can see oh no I think I I, I find this really hard because I'm not a thinker but um I think I will go on down and, and think about what's around the corner of the of the park gosh that was hard for me you see what I mean and then the jogger who see, sees they're a seeing a, a seer of experiencing the world I I see that in the the reflections there there's I can see something ah oh, there it is there's a there's a cute little dog ah oh, I see that you haven't been to the park much recently so I see that must mean you've been quite ill or Ah, oh, so you've been quite busy. Okay, so people tell you how they experience the world. And so if you want to deeply connect, try and connect with them with the same language, but also in the way that they experience life. I feel, so I will always describe, unless I'm deeply thinking about something, I feel that this podcast is now going on too long. I feel like... Some of you will be really bored and don't give a shit, quite frankly. I feel like I harp on a bit too much. I feel like I'm oversharing sometimes. You see how I'm describing things as how I feel. Um, because I feel so much leads me on to my last point. I am an empath and I take on people's feelings. So when people don't feel, they're not attuned to the nuances of a change in mood in the room or they just don't pick up on subtle social cues. It can be really frustrating because they don't they don't read the room and they don't act appropriately based on the, the change in feelings or the feelings that are being expressed. I have to appreciate and remember that not everybody feels that's not their prime experience of life and the world. So if they're not able to connect on me in that level, I have to then come out of my feeling experience and connect with them on uh, a thinking level, let's say. Classic. My my partner is a thinker, for sure, not a feeler. Um, 
it also means that I get really overwhelmed. I'm genuinely an introvert. I think that's quite obvious, although I can put on energy and, and be very friendly. I'm an absolute introvert. It means that I can get quite worn down because I, I'm an empath, I'm a feeler, and I'm an introvert. So I need to protect my feelings. I get very tired. Another reason why I spend a lot of time on my own. So the cat is staring at me. Um, we've reached 1.07 on the clock. I will just end on this one point. I do not want to live my life as alone as I do, but I do recognize that I think extremely deeply and I struggle to connect with people who maybe don't think as deeply and we can't connect on that emotional, really deep level. Um, but I also worry that I am a bit much. And sometimes it's really nice just to connect on a really shallow level or connect over something that doesn't involve any thought whatsoever, like playing a sport or um, doing some art. But if I've ever been um, confusing or misunderstood or if you haven't been able to connect with me apologies it's because I am somewhere really deep or really analytical or I'm so in my head pondering a philosophical or psychological issue that um I just need to come down a bit come back down to earth and um yeah if you've made it this far thank you for listening apologies if I've ever made you feel misunderstood or if you haven't been able to connect and understand me hopefully this has given you a bit more insight into why I think the way I think why I do what I do and why I am who I am thank you so much okay bye